It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, welcome to our latest podcast. I'm Chloe and it's great to have you listening. Today I have a real treat for you. I'm chatting with a seriously knowledgeable e-commerce specialist. She's been head of e-commerce at a number of US omnichannel retailers and is going to be taking us through her four P's of building a successful e-commerce operation. Before we get stuck into that, please do check out the sponsors. This episode is brought to you by SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Shipping and mailing from your desk has never been simpler than with SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. With SendPro Online, it's just click, send and save for as low as $4.99. That's $4.99 a month. Try it free for 30 days and get a free £10 scale when you visit pb.com forward slash masterplan. That's pb.com slash masterplan. FreeUp makes hiring online simpler for e-commerce businesses. They pre-vet thousands of virtual assistants and freelancers every week and then give you immediate access to the top 1% of applicants. Check out why 10,000 plus businesses have already signed up for FreeUp. Receive a $50 credit when you sign up today at freeup.com forward slash e-commerce master plan. And there's three E's in FreeUp. So it's freeup.com forward slash e-commerce master plan. And now to introduce today's guest expert. Jennifer DeMotta is the founder of DeMotta Consulting and has been a guest professor at the Wharton School of Business. For the last 20 years, she's been helping direct-to-consumer brands and retailers in the USA to successfully execute aggressive growth strategies. That's included the consumer-facing Hayneedle and Office Depot, and in the B2B sector, Restockit.com. To achieve all that, she focuses on building a financial foundation, empowering the top talent and designing expert-driven strategies. I'm really excited to find out what we end up chatting about today. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? I'm good. It's great to have someone with so much experience of this world on the podcast. So I'm really interested to find out more about your approach and how you go about creating that big change in businesses. But before we dive into that... Just tell it. Could you just tell us a little bit about how you yourself got started off in e-commerce? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm excited to chat with you as well because I don't often get a chance to chat with individuals with as much experience. So it's going to be great. Um, I started in e-commerce in the mid '90s, and really back then, a lot of us just didn't really know what we were getting into. We just ha- we happened to have jobs in other marketing areas. And we had to start taking on uh, building a website. And so my first uh, gig was really more or less a side gig from being in catalog marketing. I was doing uh, some analytics work and segmentation work on the catalog side. And they wanted to pull together a team to grow uh, or to build up their website. So that was really the first time I got a chance to put my toe in the water. And after that, uh, I took on a couple email marketing roles because they're very, they were very closely aligned at the time to catalog. And I think that's really how I got into that digital world. And then eventually I fell into 
heading up more and more responsibilities across all the digital marketing channels and eventually headed up the entire e-commerce business, uh, and which included all of the P&L management strategy and building up the team. Um, but it really started with this sort of accidental jumped into a task force that created a website. And uh, then 22 years later, I've been in e-commerce the whole time. I think that's, that's how a lot of us in the early days got into it. I mean, I, I was I was a few years after you, you getting in, but yeah, I was my first retail job, I was hired to manage the catalogue mailings and deal with all the list management and all that side of it. And yes, I agree. Email is, is it's like, I always think email's a little bit like catnip to the, uh, to the mail order marketer because it's like, what, I, <laughs> I've got results within 30 seconds of sending it. I'm not waiting for it to drop. And then, wow, this is kind of crazy. So, um, so yes, I, I, I get, I get your story completely. I see a lot, a lot of parallels to me in there. I said at the beginning that there were kind of three things you focus on. Um, which one would you like to tell us about first? Yeah. And actually I will, I'll kind of turn this into what I talk about with my clients in the respect of Usually what I am hired to do with my clients is to get them to understand digital and e-commerce and understand the value so they can grow their business through digital and e-commerce. And um, what, I st- what I've done in the last 20 years is I've done that over and over and over again. So I spent two to three years at each, the organizations I've been at, s- starting essentially from a blank sheet of paper and building up their e-commerce business. And so it's gotten to a method and I call that the Demata method. And the Demata method consists of a four P's. It's really people, P&L, uh, purpose, and plan. So maybe we can go through those. How does that sound? Does that sound good? That sounds good to me. I like the four P's. Let's go for it. Okay, cool. And you know, everybody uses these P's. <laughs> for some reason, that's like the most famous letter ever uh, in marketing. But those are my four P's. And that's, it's exactly how I've built these businesses over and over. And basically, what I consider probably uh, the most important of those four P's is the people one. People is critical. You can have the best plan You can have the best financial plan, the best strategy, but if you don't have the right people in the right seat, a lot of stuff just won't happen or can't happen effectively. So I consider people very important and it's on both sides of the fence. Um, People would mean not only the people that you hire, but also really understanding your consumer and at a people level rather than just a transactional level. So Um, when I get into any business, you know, the first 30 to 60 days is going to be spent assessing the business and it will be a part of it will be assessing the current state of the people. Uh, usually there's not very many, there's anywhere between one and four focused on the e-commerce business. And that person generally is a general manager on some level. Um, most of the time it works out where there's a place for that individual But if you want to grow any business, it's always about investing. And so the biggest and best investment you can make is is in the finding really. And at this point, it's a lot easier. When we were in the early 2000s, you were not hiring experts in e-commerce and digital because there were none. You were hiring people who really got it and wanted it. (laughs) And really, you know, they were super smart and they had a strong ethic where they could work their butts off. 
but now there's some, there are quite a few people with e-commerce expertise. And so you blend a desire for, do they have the technical and professional knowledge with, and I'm a big believer in this is, can they fit well in the culture? Are they going to help, um, drive a positive culture in your organization because usually the digital and e-commerce team are going to be interfacing with every other department in the company. They're going to have a spotlight on them because it is a fresh and new, you know, channel or commerce channel, marketing channel, et cetera. And so these people you have to really not only think about from the perspective of finding people with expertise, but finding great people who are great leaders, who you know, can encourage the right behaviors and who have the um, wherewithal to be able to communicate upwards to the side, to their peers and downwards to people who work for them. So I'll kind of pause there for a second. What are your thoughts? I'm glad you mentioned the the up and the the side and the and the down, because often um, certainly something I've experienced over and over again and continue to now is that when e-commerce starts to grow within a business, it's often seen with a mixture of fear and trepidation by the other people around the business. So I guess, do they come into your people part as well? Absolutely. So the biggest uh, and the best thing in e-commerce, let's say an e-commerce leader, whether it's a manager level, director level, whatever it is, and the, the person who's leading the charge on the inside has to create strong peer relationships. They they have to be a relationship builder. They can be as smart as they want in the e-commerce world, but if they can't build relationships, it's it's going to be an ineffective business. You're not going to be able to make it grow um, because it is a business just like anything else, which means you don't have one person that's able to do every particular piece of the plan. You're going to rely on other departments. And what makes it what exasperates the issue is that most people don't understand the e-commerce business. So you're not only talking to them about how they can help uh, drive e-commerce, but you really have to step back and educate your peers about what it is about e-commerce that is going to help the business flourish. What is it? What is e-commerce going to do to improve the brand's value and awareness? What is it going to do to improve the commerce and how can they get involved? Um, a lot of education is required to get peers on board and peers are critical to the uh, success of an e-commerce business. So as well as Upward, as you had talked about, I mean, the amount of executives that are still nervous to this day uh, about what they can do in e-commerce and what they don't know in e-commerce is huge. Every client I talk to, where they're at at the beginning of our relationship is I'm talking to the CMO or I'm talking to the CEO and they literally want to do something with e-commerce. They know it's important. They can see the obvious macro economy with what's been done in e-commerce, but they have no idea where to start, what it means, how they're going to make it flourish, who they hire, uh, how other departments are involved. So when you find that first individual that really is on the inside of e-commerce, they have to be super effective at educating, building relationships, and helping others see the value of e-commerce. And I guess with those CEOs and CMOs who are kind of yet, they know it's important, but they're yet to be fully convinced or to understand the P&L has got to be quite an important part of convincing them, hasn't it? So what comes under your P&L, P? 
Yeah, so that's the second one. And we know that the CEO, usually the CFO, uh, and, and other um, executives around the room, they're most... So it's kind of like when we all don't might not talk the same language. Well, we all do talk the same language when it comes to numbers. And that's how we can start to uh, look at things the same way. So you can get them a little bit out of fear because they don't know the e-commerce language. You walk in there and you talk SEO, SEM, like all these <laughs> acronyms. And they're like, what does that even mean? But when you break it down to a typical P&L, revenue, expenses, gross margins, EBITDA, and you start to show them what could a P&L model, what could a financial model really look like in an e-commerce business? These are the expenses in the business. This is what drives the revenue. And I, I often like to show executives how, how revenue can be driven both a couple different perspectives and you can get a little bit more advanced over time. But I start with the three levers, traffic, AOV and conversion to get to revenue. So you start to build a, a financial picture and all executives understand these financial pictures. So you start to help them feel more comfortable with e-commerce by the utilization of P&L. The other reason to drive a P&L is for obvious reasons. You need to know what your financial model is going to look like to start this business up. I do anywhere between uh, three to five year financial models for my clients because most often the reality of the situation is if they're really at the very beginning, the first and second year, they're not going to make money. It's not realistic. And I need to show them a realistic path to success. But as we grow the business and as we uh, engage in more strategies and as we get more awareness of the business itself, then we start to see the picture of profitability. Um, all of that starts to help executives really see something that they can truly understand. Then you can walk them into strategies and help them a little bit more understand the business so they're not always being driven by fear. They've now got some a foundation to sit on. That's the real importance of a P&L, not to mention using it on a monthly basis to hold the e-commerce business under accountability for their performance, which is critical because e-commerce business is can be a very expensive business. You have to be very careful. Shit, there's certain expenses in e-commerce that you might not see apples to apples in another flavor of your business, for example, brick and mortar, for example, shipping is a, is in there in brick and mortar. It's in there a different way. And this one gets called out all the time in e-commerce businesses, that shipping is so high, <laughs> super big cost. And it is, and you do have to manage it and you do have to offer free shipping to be competitive. Um, but, and that, and so you have to know, you almost as an e-commerce person, you almost have to know the difference. Uh, you have to know the brick and mortar P&L almost as much as you know, the e-commerce P&L. So you can explain that the costs are still there. They're just in different areas on the P&L. And I won't go too deep into that right now. But I love the fact that you're you're emphasizing how you can use the P&L as almost a marketing tool within the business to say, this isn't as scary as you think. This is the reality. Let's put it into kind of translate the scary world of e-commerce into like a straightforward thing, which is immediately recognizable to anyone in, in business. It's a, it's, a, it's a great way of looking at it. But let's leave the financials and let's talk. I think purpose was the next P, wasn't it? Yes, purpose. 
And the reason, you know, most, I'll give you uh, my experience and why purpose really became one of these P's. P&L and people was always a for sure P. Purpose came up a few companies ago and I realized how important it was. Number one, it's going to be a very competitive world and consumers are expecting a lot more. Retailers who are winning are offering purpose. Number two, on the inside. So uh, we did an employee employment engagement survey back a couple companies ago. And this is right when I started as head of e-commerce and omni-channel at Sports Authority. I would say it was about 60 days in. There was only four or five people underneath me. And I could tell it was they were just not in a good place. Uh, the, the rest of the departments were controlling their world. So they felt like they had no control. So we, I had a lot to turn around, basically. So we did an employment engagement survey right at the beginning uh, for the entire company. And the e-commerce team was like extremely low. Now, some of these other factors were a problem. But one of the things that came up over and over again was we don't know what the vision of this e-commerce business is. And we'd like to understand the vision. And I put money on it for that if anyone does an employee satisfaction or employee engagement or employee feedback survey, and they don't have a clear vision, which they say that most companies don't, most executives think there's a clear vision. And then when employees are asked what that clear vision is, most employees cannot name that clear vision, but they want it. Well, you've got two people at the top who have very different visions that they're really convinced the business is applying to. Oh, and that, oh yeah, that's a whole conversation within itself for sure. So um, employees are driven by, uh, just like consumers are, by something having purpose. We all are in life. If you think about your personal life, when, when you see something that has real purpose, you're very magnetized towards it. And it drives your motivation, improves your productivity because you're just, you're more ready to be supportive of something with purpose. And when you don't have purpose, it can be exactly the opposite, which is why we land, we have a, one of the reasons we have such low employee engagement in the US right now. Um, so I really, I really stepped back and I said, you know, we've got to spend the time building purpose. It has to be compelling to really two major audiences. It needs to be compelling to employees and it needs to be compelling to consumers. So our purpose has to be tested through feedback loops, through feedback surveys. And so we built out a purpose that very next year after I hired um, a number of other people because I needed to build up the e-commerce team. Then we built out a purpose and, um, and as well as plan, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, and we did another employee engagement survey. We went from being the lowest uh, engaged team to being the highest engaged team in that uh, company, which was very large, many departments, and no more comments. They were more or less saying, we've got what we need now. We're highly motivated. We understand where we're going. We're bought into what we're doing. And uh, it was a major turnaround. So I realized I didn't have that P in there and I realized how important having a purpose really is. And we're talking, just to clarify here, we're not just talking in three years' time, we want to be doing five million. We're talking the the reason for the existence. Are we kind of the, the softer side of it, not just a hard and fast profit number? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, if, the hard and fast to me, it, the P&L and all these dots have to connect. You, you as the leader really have to see how people, P&L, purpose and plan 
make sure they're all connected because the minute that they're uh, in in array or conflict uh, or disarray and conflict, then you're in trouble because other people will see that as well and you're going to have a problem. So you really have to see how those dots connect. This The purpose is definitely saying this is who we are. This is what we're driven by. And that is not only communicated on the inside, but in some way or shape or form is communicated in every single thing that you do customer facing as well. So um, it really has to, it really starts to flow through the plan and it really, the dots have to be connected back to um, how, you know, who, what you expect of people when you're hiring people and what you expect uh, to see in a P&L plan. Cool. Let's talk plan then. She mentioned it a couple of times and how do, how does this P&L and this purpose actually get delivered? Yeah. So the purpose is, you know, it's still pretty big. It's a means of saying, this is who we are and this is also what we aspire to be. And, but now you got to say, okay, what are the steps I'm going to take now to head in that direction? Because most often um, you can start taking some small steps, you can t- start taking some larger steps, but you're not like 100% there. You're building a purpose that's not fully, um, you're not, it's not fully executed at the very time that you have built that purpose. So now you need to come down a notch and say, okay, what am I doing this year? Possibly at a monthly level, possibly at a quarterly level, depends on the client I have. And then in respect of specifically, um, what is it? Who is the owner? And how I'm going to, how am I going to measure the success of this action or tactic? So it gets down more or less to a tactical plan. And that is um, something, again, people need to see that that plan ties directly to the purpose. They need to see those dots connected. And once they see that, you focus on the tactical plan with your folks. And now you're accountable to the tactical plan and the P&L. You've built the foundation of the purpose and people. Oh, nice. I like it. And I like the fact you're saying about making it a, a quarterly or a monthly focus for that plan, because I find a lot of people fall into the trap of trying to drill down to some kind of weekly piece, much bigger scale projects than you can really achieve on a weekly basis. So I like that monthly, quarterly focus. Have you got any advice on how to decide whether it's a monthly or a quarterly focus? Yeah, that's a great question. And going back to your weekly, I've tried some of the CEOs I've worked with. They have such you know, there's some there's some small businesses I work with out there and they believe in weekly. We try it for three months and it doesn't work. It's weekly is just too small of a time frame to have any meaningful action inside of that time frame. I find it puts too much pressure on as well. There's no kind of safety valve built in. That's true. That is very true. And um, so it really should be driven by the time frame in which you believe this tactic can be achieved. So you won't always be on a monthly or a quarterly. You might have monthly plans. So for example, I had an operations team. There were certain things that they were achieving on a monthly basis. So the management uh, was managing and looking at what their achievement rates were and success rates were on a monthly basis. That worked for them. Versus I had a usability team that focused on the user experience of the website. And as much as they would do maybe something within a quarter, there were large enough projects that took longer than a month. And so it wasn't worth coming back around every month and saying, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? 
we already did that anyway in daily conversations of reviewing things and all that. So, you, you know, you know where things are at anyway. But when it comes to really meeting about these things, it's going to be a it's it's more or less. Did you hit the date? If you didn't, let's talk about why. Let's do some postmortem. Let's understand what happened. And have we had time to look at what the measurement, what the impact of the success measurement is? Those are really the two things you want to talk about in these discussions. Everything else you're going to either have in a one-on-one or you're going to, you know, you're going to empower your team to do it and not, you know, and trust that they're going to uh, get the things done that they've said they're going to get done on a monthly and quarterly basis. And that's another thing I'm a big believer in as well is empowerment to me creates much more motivation and productivity than I think most people get it, give it credit for. And it's so much easier to, uh, to manage people who you trust and who feel empowered to get on with their job as well. So much easier. Well, if you don't trust them, you have a bigger, you have a different issue, right? You don't just start applying pressure if you don't trust them. You have to say, well, what's the root issue? And I've got to focus on the root issue. Now, Jennifer, I can't have someone with your level of experience in this world of e-commerce on the show and not ask you about where you think the world of marketplaces, so the Amazons, the Ebays, the Walmarts fit in in the world of, of e-commerce these days. Because I see a lot of people taking different strategies, some ignoring them, some going hell for leather on them, whilst also running their own stores and their own e-commerce operations. Where where do you sit? Where do you think we're, we're going in the world of marketplaces? Yeah, that is a very interesting discussion. And this is obviously just one opinion. And I was talking to a company over in Europe, and I think they're in some respects ahead and in some respects behind U.S., in the respect of e-commerce. And so what I was thinking about was, okay, we've got these sort of levels of retail. We've got the Amazon and the Walmart of the, they just offer anything and everything. They have whatever billions of products they have at this point in time. And Walmart, from a consumer perspective, I'm a very much an Amazon user. Uh, but I'm also very impressed with what Walmart has done in the last few years. Then you've got all the way at the bottom, you've got this new thing coming about of these direct-to-consumer brands where they are selling, you know, they're manufacturers essentially. And the role of the manufacturer used to be you made your product and then you sold it to a retailer and then they sold it to a consumer. And that perfect little path has been just changed from this linear thing to a bunch of spaghetti because <laughs> retailers make their own products and now manufacturers are going directly to their consumer via e-commerce and even more so via uh, channels like Instagram. And uh, so then right in the middle is all this specialty retail, whether it's something like a Best Buy or something like a Sephora. And they're going to get the most pressure because, you know, I if I know what product I want and I, I'm just going to be wanting convenience very quickly if I'm buying online, I very easily could buy that off of Amazon, Walmart. Why not? I have everything set up. It's you know, it's free shipping. It's one day delivery or same day these days. Why wouldn't I just buy my beauty from Amazon? It's all there anyway. And then these direct to consumer brands are super special because they've got this whole purpose, new purpose underway. They're offering um, certain brands, I guess, are really smart. They're offering exclusive products. They're not selling in any other channel. And they're just creating sort of a cult-like environment with their consumers. Consumers are super excited to engage directly with these guys. So I think actually the biggest 
challenge will be with these middle guys who are retailers, but are, um, but are just trying to find their differentiation, essentially something that's very compelling that gets a consumer away from Amazon and not also, uh, excited about a direct to consumer brand. Then with direct to consumers or manufacturers, you know, the first thought is, should I sell on one of the first thoughts is should I sell these products on Amazon Walmart because of the eyeballs, the law of large numbers, essentially. And um, it can be a very compelling thing to do because it will bring your revenue line pretty high. The, uh, the issue with selling on Amazon, Walmart, wherever else, it's not just about them, but they're just representative is they're going to price pressure you. So there's a little bit of the carrot and stick. They get you excited because of the eyeballs and the amount of revenue you can earn. But then the stick is they will put, they will do things like put price pressure on you. They will pretty much say that in order to keep selling your product, you've got to reduce your cost over and over and over and over again. And pay for advertising as well. <laughs> it's like the double whammy. And then I was going to go right into that one. Their new thing is to go, you know, now the only way, because think about it, because there are billions of products on Amazon, you're not just going to get found anymore. It doesn't work the same way it did 10 years ago. You're not going to get found. So now on top of getting price pressure, you now have to pay to even get found in the first place. And so you're paying your marketing fees, plus you're paying, you know, your fees to sell on Amazon. And it can get, my suggestion is to build again, almost a mini 4P for this type of activity for Amazon or Walmart, because you really need to understand why are you doing this in the first place? If you're just generating income is a risky long-term income initiative is not, it is much better as a short-term income initiative. And be careful because over time your EBITDA will erode and you'll, we, I was talking in another podcast every interview about, uh, it was interesting. I love this comment. It was like the E will come out of EBITDA very quickly. <laughs> like, and, uh, I thought, yeah, that's, that's a really succinct way to say, if you're going to get involved in Amazon, Walmart, you've got to be careful. Um, particularly if, you haven't built your brand up. So the whole key to all of this sort of circle and model of commerce and all these ways you can sell your product is the more brand awareness you have, the more control you're going to have over these conversations about what products you can sell and what price you're going to sell them at. The less brand awareness you have, the less control and the less leverage you're going to have. So that's, I think... Also a reason why these individuals build up their direct to consumer business, like Casper, for example, they're in a position at this point in time of having a lot of leverage when they go meet and they're at the table with a large retail partner. They're not going to get, uh, they're not going to have these conversations because Casper has built up a moat of who loves their product and who's going to stick around with their product. And there, and there is a lot to say in the timing of how you work with Amazon and these larger wholesale partners versus getting yourself out there and starting to build up your direct to consumer business first so that you've got a brand to build some leverage around. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. 
Shipping and mailing from your desk has never been simpler. With SemPro Online from Pitney Bowes, it's just click, send and save for as low as $4.99 a month. Send envelopes, flats and packages right from your desk. And for being an e-commerce master plan listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started and a free £10 scale to ensure that you never overpay. Save time and money on mailing and shipping with SemPro Online. Starting at $4.99 per month, you can also qualify for special USPS rates for letters and priority mail shipping, calculate exact postage online and do it all by printing from your PC. Go to pb.com forward slash masterplan to access this special offer for a free 30-day trial plus a free £10 scale to get you started. That's pb.com slash masterplan. Experience shipping made simple with a free trial of SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Tired of posting jobs online and running into unqualified applicants? FreeUp is your solution. FreeUp interviews thousands of e-commerce freelancers each week and only allows the top 1% into their network. From Amazon to Shopify to Facebook ads to graphic design, they've got someone perfect for the role. Sign up today at freeup.com forward slash e-commerce master plan and get a $50 credit towards your first hire. That's freeup.com forward slash e-commerce master plan and there's three E's in free up. It's time for the top tips round. I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So, Jennifer, you've given us so much great advice already, but are you ready for a couple more top tips? Sounds great. So, first up, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? So this is the book I always have uh, each of the clients that I have read. It's Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni or any of Patrick's books, but that's my favorite book. Ooh, not one I've come across. I'm going to have to add that to my, to my reading list. Okay, the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Yeah, I actually feel pretty strongly about email. I still think that is a method that is still strong. It is very cheap. It is one of the strongest methods to uh, create relationships with current customers or sub- subscribers. And I think the challenge right now is having great content. But the reality is that um, every marketing method is saturated that right now, whether it's Instagram or email or SEO. So it's really not about the saturation, but it's more about creating great content with existing subscribers and buyers. And then the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? Yeah, I was thinking about this one. I'm I'm very simple individual. Like I manage my finances on a Google spreadsheet and um, I make, but I'm very efficient. So what I would suggest is rather than a tool, find one tool and try to do as much with it. So um, what I do a lot is I use my Outlook to uh, not only converse with people, but my calendar is full of all kinds of different things I need to do throughout the day. And that is the one source that I use, whether it's personal to-dos, professional to-dos, whatever it is, so I can look at my calendar and I know every single thing I need to do in that day. So I would suggest at least just finding one tool that fits you. 
Oh, nice. I like I like a bit of curveball advice. Okay, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Yeah, so usually what I do is I um, go back to that three levers that build revenue, whether it's, it's traffic, conversion, and average order value. Most often, here's what I see. The traffic is too low or the conversion's too low. And I would focus on one lever. If the conversion is too low, it's usually the website. You need to find opportunities to improve the user experience. Make sure your, your products are right, you're sorted correctly, and you're priced okay. If it's traffic, then focus on traffic generation. And whether it's growing email, starting to uh, focus on some SEO strategies and SEM strategies, um, or pulling um, together a stronger social media strategy. Jennifer, yet more awesome advice. It's been it's been so good having you on the show today. And I know you're, you've given our listeners a huge amount of food for thought. So before we say goodbye, could you let them know where they can find you and the business on the web and social media, please? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me on my website, which is www.demottaconsulting.com. Or you can reach me via email, jennifer at demottaconsulting.com. Nice and straightforward. I like it. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been, as I said, it's been great hearing you talk through that that method and it makes so much sense and it's so clear as well. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing your experience with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. Wow. So much great advice. And, so, and as I said, such a clear process too. I love that four P's part. And I think, you know, getting the right people in place, getting the finances in place, whether you've got to convince your seniors of it or whether you've just really got to create that clarity for yourself, a solid PL is a must in my book for any business at any stage, quite frankly, because it really does keep you on track. It really does keep you focused on what you should be doing. And then, and give you some inspiration for the future of where we can get to if we put in the legwork. Then, of course, the purpose to make sure you're pulling it all together. So, whether you call that mission, vision, values, or purpose, that's the bit we're talking about there, which just kind of pushes everyone in the right direction. It makes management so much easier. And then, of course, the plan. I liked how Jennifer was saying about having those kind of big quarterly or monthly, whatever works for whichever bit of the business you're looking at, things that have to be done, things that have to be measured, those big projects which are going to push you forwards. And then sense checking those in terms of, did we get it done on time? If not, why not? Let's take a look into it. And also, what impact this actually have in the business? How many of us do big projects and then don't actually look at whether they were worth doing or not? And then that great advice around ever-changing place of marketplaces in our ecosystem too. To get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips, links, and details of related episodes, then head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. And if you're listening via Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do give us some feedback via their review app. I hope you have a great week. Keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.